Amen. Well, let's read Mark 16 and verse 15. This is the Great Commission, and Jesus is telling his disciples what they are now to do. He said them, or told them, Go everywhere into all the world and preach the what kind of news? The good news to how many people? Everyone. And anybody who believes, here's the terms of the agreement. Anybody who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Watch this closely. This heresy going around that when Jesus died, it saved everybody. No one needs to repent. No matter what you believe, you're still saved. Look at this. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. So Jesus apparently disagrees with that heresy. We must come to him and ask his forgiveness. But isn't that good news? He said, it's good news you're taking with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. And I pray that the fire of Easter, the zeal of Easter, the excitement, the exuberance of Easter will go forward through the rest of the year. Far be it from us, Lord, that it would fade in Jesus' mighty name. Fan the flame today among us. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, stay lit. And I'm grabbing something back here. I know what I'm doing. This is last week's lily. Not as promising as it was, is it? Now, let me just uh, talk to you a little bit about Easter. How many of you had a great Easter? Didn't we have a good time? I was reading this week, and I read this article, and it said that many denominations call today, this Sunday, Sunday after Easter, Down Sunday. That's what they call it. Well, that's faith-lifting, isn't it? That's uplifting. They call it Down Sunday. Uh, Crowds are down. Energy is down. Excitement is down. So they just accept it and say, well, it's Down Sunday. But I refuse to go with that. It ought to be Up Sunday. See, three people amen me. I know I'm getting somewhere already. (laughs) After all the hoopla surrounding Easter, the the multitudes in the services and special music, larger crowds, and so on and so forth, today should not be anticlimactical. We ought to be moving forward with what happened and what we realized on Easter. Now, I understand why for some people it's down Sunday because you know, everyday life is, is just not Easter, is it? It's, it's just not Easter, everyday life. Now, it can be if you learn how to praise God and walk in the Spirit and walk in life, stay in the Word, it can be, but it's pretty hard to come down off the mountaintop of the fire of Easter into the valley of everyday, humdrum, ordinary life. But I want to tell you, I believe it's the will of God that our fire and our zeal Uh, is as hot as it was last Sunday. And it ought to be that way tomorrow. It ought to be that way Monday through Friday. When we come to church, it ought not be, preacher, you better preach me up because I sure am down. It ought to be, I've been up all week and now it's really going to get bad if you preach the Word. That's the way it ought to be. Uh, So how do you carry the fire? This is what I was thinking about. This week, how, do you, how did Jesus deal with the disciples? Because, you know, when they experienced their first Easter, they were not in a good place, not at the very beginning. 
The disciples were in a state of shock following the crucifixion. And Jesus had to appear to them over and over again. And as he appeared to them, he rebuilt their faith, rebuilt their zeal, rebuilt their fire, because they were down in the dumps. Now, as I tracked, studied, looked at what Jesus did with his disciples to get them back on track in Jerusalem, waiting on the Holy Spirit, full of excitement and zeal, and they went out and reached the whole known world for Jesus, what did he do with them? And here's what I found. First, he wanted them to know something. K-N-O-W. He wanted them to know something. I can't tell you how important it is what you know. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. See, it's not just what you experience, it's what you know. Matter of fact, experiences come and go. Experiences can be like a roller coaster. You get an experience, you're up for a while, but then you're back down. But it's what you know that keeps you steady, eddy, that keeps you daily walking with God. It's what you know that sets you free. And Jesus wanted them to know something. After the crucifixion and even after the resurrection, they were walking around dazed and confused. They were shocked and shaken. They did not understand what had happened to him. They did not understand watching their Savior be disfigured, hung on a cross, humiliated, shamed, and then buried. That is not what they expected. That, that was not on their expectation list. They thought Jesus was going to take over the Roman government. He could do anything. He could walk on water, raise the dead, heal the sick, open blind eyes. They did not expect that Jesus was going to be crucified, beaten beyond recognition, hung on a bloody cross, and died and put into a tomb. They did not expect this. They did not understand the prophets had all predicted this. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, minor prophets, major prophets, they had all predicted the psalmist. They had all predicted what was going to happen to Jesus. But the disciples really were really, they didn't get it until Pentecost. They just didn't fully grasp who it was they had been following and what he was all about until the Spirit of God fell upon them. And what I see here is they could not go forward without knowing something in their hearts. See, unless you know, you can't go. There are certain things that God wants to establish in your heart and mind. And until He does, we really can't go very effectively. We really can't get out there and reach the world very effectively because we ourselves are not convinced. Twice in the book of Luke, I see Jesus approaching them. Once, it's two disciples walking down the road to Emmaus. They were getting out of Jerusalem, getting out of the confusion, getting out of Dodge. They, they were going to Emmaus to lick their wounds, to try to sort things out, to process everything they had seen. And Jesus eased up to them on the road to Emmaus and began to talk to them. Then 18 verses later, he appeared to all the disciples and almost repeated verbatim what he had told the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Well, what did he tell them on the road to Emmaus? He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And watch what he did. This is a Bible study I would pay big bucks to have listened to. It says, Beginning with Moses... 
and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He started at Moses. He went through the entire Old Testament. Moses, the Psalms, the prophets, because Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets had all pointed to him, predicted him, prophesied about him, foretold of him, nailed the place he'd be born, nailed that he would be born of a virgin, talked about his ministry, gave all kinds of things describing his life. Jesus' life was prophesied of before he ever came. And, he, and talking with these two disciples, he opened up the scriptures. And later they said, did not our hearts burn within us? I love that. Holy Ghost heartburn. We need a good baptism of Holy Ghost heartburn. I mean, there is such a thing as Holy Ghost heartburn. I would never have preached had it not been for a strong dose of Holy Ghost heartburn. You don't need a Tums. You don't need a Rolaids. You don't need the purple pill. Holy Ghost heartburn doesn't hurt. It sets you on fire supernaturally. See, the church... The church was not a bunch of religious people. They were a bunch of people who had experienced the power of God touching their life. Jeremiah said, His word was in my heart like a burning fire, and I could not keep it in. Jeremiah said, I had a case of Holy Ghost heartburn, and it just burned in me to share His word. I preach not because I have to. I preach because I've got to. I want to. And God wants you and I not to be a bunch of religious automatons walking around, you know, Jesus saves, and I'm saying this because I think I should. But no, your heart has been touched by holy fire. By holy fire. And even if you want to keep it in, you can't. You get a bad case of the can't help it. I've got to talk about Jesus. I've got to talk about the Lord. I've got to tell people the things He's done for me. I've got to... Come on, church. Here's what they were about. As Jesus opened the word to them and took them through this incredible Bible study of all things concerning himself, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us and walked with us and opened to us the scriptures? And the answer was rhetorical. Yes, our hearts burned within us. That's how they were restored. Jesus knew they had to know something. Their understanding of God's plan of redemption had to be unshakable, unsinkable, unassailable. They had to know something. Here's why. Because they were about to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ into a skeptical, hostile world. And there's no way they could be uncertain about some things he wanted them to know. So he took them through the scriptures and solidified their faith, cemented their faith in what the Bible had to say about Jesus. I don't want a church that is tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and the cunning craftiness of men, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but I want a church that stands strong like pillars in the house of God. They can say to a skeptical, unbelieving, politically correct world, no matter what you say, say on. My faith is solid. I know my Redeemer liveth. I know in whom I have believed. Without a no, they could not go. Without a no, without knowing, these 
bedrock truths. They really couldn't go and shake the world. So Jesus rooted and grounded them in the prophetic scriptures, showing them that every move he had made and every event that had befallen him had been predicted in the Word of God. Here's a fact. Christianity is not a hope-so, maybe-so, perhaps-so religion. That's not what it is. Can I go ahead and be bold today and tell you Christianity is a no-so faith in the risen Son of God. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, isn't that kind of arrogant to say you know so? Well, why not? The evolutionists tell us they know we came from monkeys. The secular humanists tell us they know there is no God. Uh, uh, Listen, all around us in our unbelieving world, we are told we know this for a fact. There's no Jesus Christ. There's no God. There's no inerrant scriptures. There's none of this. We know that we came from apes. We know that the real answer is secular philosophy. And we in turn say, no, here's what we know. We know that he came to the earth born of a virgin. God wrapped himself in skin. He grew up among us. He taught us. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He preached and taught like no man ever preached and taught. And one day they decided to kill him. They nailed him on a cross, but on that cross I know he took my sins away. And I know he was buried. And here's what I know. Last Sunday, we celebrated this, and everybody in this room ought to have a no-so faith about this. I know that on the third day, the Holy Ghost of resurrection power moved into that tomb. And Jesus Christ, who had not breathed in 72 hours, sucked in a breath. He sat up. He stood up. He walked out into the sunshine on that first Easter Sunday morning. And he was risen. And I know it. Can you say with me, I know it? We don't wonder, we don't doubt, we don't ask questions about it. We know. Not hope so, maybe so, perhaps so. Well, gee, I, I hope it's true. No, it's a no so. It's a no so. Now, let me ask you a question Are you fully persuaded of the facts surrounding Easter? Because if you're fully persuaded of the facts surrounding Easter, you are anointed and appointed to go and to tell the good news. I want a church that shouts it. I want a church that tells it. I want a church that preaches it. I want a church that teaches it. I want a church that broadcasts it. I want a church that trumpets it. I want a church that gets the word out there that he is risen. He is risen indeed. Now is Christ risen from the dead. Say with me, I know it. There are two words for to know in the Greek language. Very interesting. One is gnosko, one is edo. One means to gradually come to know something over time, like a learning experience, you know, like learning math. But the other word for to know means to know for certain, to fully know something, to be sure, to have no doubt. It's that word know, that word, where Paul says, I know whom I have believed. I have no doubt. I'm certain. I'm sure. I know. He answers prayer. He's there. He's real. He's coming back. I know. And I am convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. John used the same word for to know. He said, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. Do you know it today? Again, John said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, you may be sure, certain, 
that you have eternal life. I know that on this cross he took my wrath. I know that on this cross he took my judgment. I know that on this cross I was there and my sins were judged on this cross. I know that the only begotten Son of God hung on this tree and there is no remission of sins in any other place than His precious blood shed for me. And I know that He was taken down from this cross, put into a tomb. I know that He rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And I know He's soon to come again. I know the trumpet will blow. See, when you know this, you're ready to go. How many of you really know it? I want to encourage you. Settle it. Know it. Because what you know matters greatly in reaching people and making an impact for Jesus. Those two disciples in Emmaus, as soon as Jesus, their eyes were open and they saw Jesus and realized he was risen from the dead, they left Emmaus and they went straight back to Jerusalem, got filled with the Holy Spirit, accomplished their purpose on earth, and went to glory. As soon as they had the knowing, they had the going. Where to go once we know. Life after Easter, here's the way life after Easter ought to look for every church. It ought to entail excitedly, zealously, and courageously spreading the most incredible news that ever rocked planet Earth. Do you know that what we've got today is good news in a bad news world? Jesus told them, go into the entire world and preach the good news to everyone. The gospel, the word gospel means good news. Jesus called it good news. We have good news I mean, turn on the TV. What do you see? People, hundreds of people killed in tornadoes. Overseas terrorism. Overseas tumult. Overseas nations being overthrown. Totalitarian dictators ruling overseas. Darkness and foreboding and despair. Turn on the news. And what do people see? Nothing but a continual run of bad news. And that's why it matters that what the church has is good news. I want you to say with me, it's good news. It's the best news you could ever, ever have. Have you ever noticed that whenever you find something interesting or important, first thing you want to do is go tell somebody about it? You want to tell about it? But when it's really good news, not just interesting, not just important, but truly good news, like how many of you could keep it quiet today if you went home and looked at that lotto ticket you bought? And on that lotto ticket, you counted the numbers, and lo and behold, you had won the Powerball. I'll bet you we would hear about it in no time at all. And I hope I would hear your tithing here. (laughs) I've never bought one, but I'll take the tithe. When it's really good news, when it's really good news, good news, it's almost irresistible. It's impossible to keep it in. So why aren't so many Christians, why are so many of them silent? Why are so many of them quiet with the good news? Because I think we let the devil tell us that it's not good news. Well, it's going to be obnoxious news, or it's going to be unwelcome news. We're afraid that it's it's, it's going to be criticized news, and it's not really good news. But can I just pop that bubble and tell you whenever you share the gospel it is incredibly good news when you read in the paper that a meteorite is on track to one day pass near earth's orbit that's important news but when you read on in the article to find that it's not going to hit planet earth that's 
Good news. When you're digging in your garden, like an Austrian man was in 2007, and you find an old dirty box with dirty trinkets in it, that's interesting news. He put it in his attic. He thought it was really interesting. But later he realized that he had actually found a treasure trove of 200 rings, brooches, ornate belt buckles, gold-plated silver plates encrusted with real pearls, fossilized coral, and other ornaments from the Middle Ages worth millions of dollars. That was... Can I tell you that the news we've got is better than that good news? Because he found treasure. We've got a greater treasure. His name is Jesus. He brings deliverance. He brings salvation. He brings peace. He brings joy. He washes your sins away. No treasure on earth can do that. He's the pearl of great price. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is... We read in the Bible during the times of the kings and the time of Elisha that the king of Syria surrounded Samaria. The king of Israel was inside Samaria. The king of Syria surrounded Samaria and kept food from getting in there, and they all began to die of famine. It was one of the ways that an invading army defeated another army. And so here inside Samaria, everybody is starving. They began to sell donkey heads for huge sums of money. We could say a piece of bread would buy a bag of gold. It was that bad within the walls of Samaria. And four lepers were sitting outside the gate. And they asked themselves a great question. Everybody inside was dying of hunger. They were dying of hunger and they were dying of leprosy. So they said this to themselves. Why sit here until we die? Why are we just sitting here until we die? That's a great question. Some of you need to ask yourself that question. Why are you sitting there in that situation until you die? There comes a time you've got to get up, stand up, and walk and take action and do something with your life. They said, if we turn around and we go inside Samaria, we're going to die with them in there. If we sit here, we're going to die anyway. So let's just get up and let's walk toward the Syrian camp. And if they take a slave, at least they'll feed us as slaves. And if they kill us, well, we were dying anyway. So they get up. Now, what they did not know is the day before, Elisha the prophet had made a prophecy to the king of Israel. He said, by this time tomorrow, you're going to have more food than you know what to do with. Somebody standing right there, as a matter of fact, it was the king's servant, said, there is no way that's going to happen. Elisha said, you will see it, but you won't eat it. You will die. You've got to be careful what you say around prophets. So these four lepers, they, they get up, and they say, let's, let's, go, let's head towards the Syrian camp. Let's see what they do with us. And they start walking. What they did not know is that God had caused the Syrians to hallucinate. And they began to hear chariots. And they began to hear horses. And they began to hear the shouts of, of a great army. But there wasn't anything there. God made them hear things. Can I tell you that sometimes God just says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord He will show to you today. You will not have to fight this battle yourself. I'm going to fight this battle for you. It's not your battle, it's mine. And so they walked up, and the, the, these four lepers who were just thinking they were going to be taken slave, they walk up, 
and there's nobody there. They walk into a tent. It's filled with food. They see weapons all over the ground and all over the road. They walked in and they ate to their stomach's content. Then they went to the next tent. They were having a grand old time. And then they asked a question. They said to one another, we're not doing right. This day is a day of good news. Then they said, and we remain silent. Now therefore come, let us go and tell. Go and tell, go and tell the king's household. Now here's the picture. The Syrian camp was like the kingdom of God in this respect. It had everything that Samaria needed. Samaria was a picture of the world. Dying, famine, darkness, despair, hopelessness. And the Syrian camp because God had made it so, had everything they needed in Samaria. I want you to know today, church, it's that way with you and me. These four lepers said, if we don't go and tell, something bad's going to happen to us by morning because Samaria is dying and they need what we have and they need to know what we know. So they went and they told. The gates flew open. The dude that said that'll never happen was standing at the gates, got trampled and died. He heard of it, but he never tasted it. But the rest of them got delivered, not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit and the provision of God. Can I tell you, that's a picture of the gospel. Here we sit. We've got everything the world needs. Forgiveness, peace, love, joy, deliverance, eternal life, purpose, meaning. And if we remain silent, something's going to happen to us by morning. We've got to go and tell. Go and tell. Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's all that it is. I had a guy come this week to fix our phone. Something was wrong with one of the lines. And I was talking to him, and he was telling me he's going to be sent off to Alabama because of all these tornadoes. And um, it hit me. I haven't said one word to him. So I have found a way to open the subject, to breach the subject, to, to, to get to it when I want to. And it, it's my cards, my little church cards. You ought to grab some and use them. And I said, hey, do you listen to radio? Oh, yeah, I listen to radio. I said, well, I'm on the radio. And he was thinking I was a DJ or something on some music radio. He said, what station are you on? I said, oh, it's a gospel station. It went all over his face. Bloom. He looked to see how close he was to the door. <laughs> I could see him. And I said, listen, I'm on the radio twice a day, 6 in the morning at six and 6 at night. You ought to give it a listen because I'm talking about the Lord. I'm a minister of the gospel. And all of a sudden I felt something inside of him interest and hunger and I gave him that card and I opened the door because what I'm finding is everywhere you go they're hungry they're thirsty people know that something is wrong something is up and God is opening their hearts the field is white to harvest don't sit there don't sit there like a cat that just ate the canary You've got life in you. You're contagious. You're infectious. You've got the answer. You're in the Syrian camp, and you've got to go to Samaria and tell them what you know. Come on, you can do better than that. That's kind of... Well, I'm just not real comfortable with that, Pastor Jeff. Can you give somebody a dollar? 
If you had a dollar bill, would you know what to say if you wanted to give somebody a dollar? Here, I want to give you this dollar. You could do it, couldn't you? Right now, I could say, get a dollar out of your wallet, out of your purse. Give it to the person next. You would have no problem. It's that easy, just opening it up and saying, can I tell you what God's done for me? Can I tell you what the Lord's done in my life? Or do you have anything? Here's, here's one you'll never get a no on. Is there anything I can pray with you about? I got a call a couple of weeks ago to go see a man I'd never met. He's in the hospital, told he had terminal cancer. He was only 62, very likable guy, not a church person. From what I could tell, it didn't appear that he was born again. But somebody who I knew asked me to go see him. I went walking in there. He didn't know me at all. I walked right up and I said, I'm here. I'm a pastor. And I want to talk to you about your soul. And I want to talk to you about the Lord. And I want to listen to you. He began to cry. He had just been told his life was up. And he said this to me. He said, Pastor, would you pray with me? And I said, you better believe I will took his hands. He didn't know how to do this. He just took my hands. And I began to pray with him. Big crocodile tears began to fall, splash on the sheet. And I prayed with him to get right with God, to be forgiven, that God would touch him and minister to him. I was thinking when I went in there, the way he first looked at me, he didn't want to see me at all. But I found that the Lord had already touched his heart. And he wanted what I had from the Syrian camp. You've got the goods. You. Better news. He is risen. Death and hell are defeated. Forgiveness is available to all. Once the disciples came to know, they were empowered to go. And they went and told. Amen. I told you the story. Uh, a lady visited a couple of weeks ago. I said, how did you find out about it? She said, your people kept bugging me at the restaurants. I work at a restaurant in Burleson, and they kept coming and talking to me about Jesus, inviting me to your church. I came just to get them off my back. That's great. <laughs> and, you know, once they came to know and to go, they were also blessed to grow, and I love this because it's God's will that we grow in every way. The book of Acts records three ways they experienced phenomenal growth. Listen to this testimony from the first church ever launched after Pentecost fell. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple court, says Acts 2.46. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number weekly, monthly, yearly, no, daily, those who were being saved. The post-Easter church experienced growth in three ways. Here it is. First, fellowship. Every day they met in the temple, and every day they met regularly in their homes. They invited each other into their homes. They met in the temple, and what did they do? They fellowshiped like logs in a fire. If you separate them, they die. When you put them together, they burn. That's why you need me and I need you. These people who say, oh, I don't go to church anymore. I go to church on TV. No, you do not. You watch somebody preach on TV, but that you can't reach through and touch skin. That person ain't going to pray for you when you're sick, marry you when you're alive, and bury you when you're dead. 
fellowship. We need one another. They also grew in favor. I love that word, favor. It says they enjoyed the favor of all the people. How did that happen? Their lives were so pure. Their testimony was so convincing. Their speech was so clean that they gained the goodwill of the entire city. The entire city favored the church. God said, when you make uh, peace with me and your ways please me, I'll make even your enemies to be at peace with you. They grew also in force. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Grew in fellowship, grew in favor, grew in force. Within a few weeks, this is amazing, the fledgling church in just a couple of weeks reached 5,000 in number, all who had been born again. But it didn't stop there. Listen to the book of Acts chapter 5, verse 14. More and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. How were people added to their number? I'm looking for a good church. Want to be a member? No. They were being saved. That tells me that Simon Peter was not the one doing all this. It wasn't because of a few big-time preachers. The people were out there telling what they had found in the Syrian camp. And people were being saved. Many Bible scholars believe the Jerusalem congregation ultimately grew to more than 60,000 members. 60,000 people in Jerusalem who had been born again as the church knew something, took and told it, and grew. That's the will of God. They had a no. Then they had a go. And like a blazing fire in a dry field, they spread the good news with zeal and courage. And their going produced all this growing. By Acts 17, I love this, they were known as those who had turned the world upside down. I would say that those who had turned the world right side up. In a day of darkness, in a day when bad is good and good is bad and light is dark and dark is light and wrong is right and right is wrong, isn't it time for the church to come out of the Syrian camp, quit eating everything ourselves and take what we have found and tell the people in Samaria? Church is not supposed to be a bless me club. Church is supposed to be we get filled up, tanked up, and we go out and we tell it. Jesus handed off to us a baton. He said, here's what I did. God wrapped himself in skin. I came and dwelt among you. I taught you. I held you. I loved you. I gave my life on the cross. They crucified me. I went into the tomb. I came out. I was risen from the dead, raised from the dead, and I went to be with the Father. I'm now seated at the right hand of the Father, and I'm giving this baton to you. What is the baton? God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes on him will not perish, but have everlasting life. What is the baton? The death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, his blood covering all of our sins. That's the baton. And he handed it off to the disciples, and they ran with it. And the disciples discipled others. And the early church fathers came from them. And the early church fathers ran with it. And you follow church history down through the centuries and you find that different men and women who were mightily touched by God and whole churches and masses of people took that baton. Martin Luther took it and ran with it and preached the just shall live by faith and shook Europe and shook really us today. We wouldn't be here without him. 
the message the just shall live by faith. Martin Luther handed it off to people like George Whitfield and the Wesley brothers. And they began to preach the gospel. They carried the baton and shared the message with all of England and all of Europe and all of America. And America was birthed in Holy Ghost revival because of Whitfield and the Wesley brothers. The early American colonies were baptized in the move of God because of those men. And they gave the baton off. And then people like D.L. Moody took it. And Billy Sunday took it. And Charles Finney took it. And they ran with the baton. And they handed it off. Billy Graham took it. Preached the gospel to the whole known world. Millions of people. And can I go ahead and say today. David Wilkerson was just killed in a car crash. 79 years old. Touched me so much in the 1970s when I was a young man. He became a father in the faith to me. I looked at David Wilkerson. The cross and the switchblade. Teen Challenge was founded by David Wilkerson. 1,200 teen challenges have been established with thousands being delivered from addiction, teens being turned from darkness to light. He left an incredible testimony. But now the baton. Now, who will take it? I'll take it. Will you take it with me? And carry the gospel to all the known world? This is what we're to do. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're running with it. Now, be seated. Let me just share one thing that happened this week with our church. I was uh, called by a Jewish businessman who, and a pastor, and they wanted to meet with me. They wanted to meet with me in a very nice hotel in Dallas, and they wanted to talk to me about an opportunity of this Jewish businessman, 72-year-old man, who was for a number of years, for many years, the president of MGM Studios in Hollywood. He has been in this business, the business of communication, all these years. And he's come up with an idea. His idea is Internet. And on the Internet, what he wants to do is he wants to put on preachers, teachers, youth evangelists, evangelists, children's workers, uh, ministers of the Word in many, many different facets, evangelicals. He wants to put them on the Internet. And you will subscribe to it for a price, a small price. And via new technology, the Internet will go onto your television wirelessly. And whoever you want to watch or listen to, whatever message you want to hear, you can go through an incredible program log. You can pick which one you want. You can click on it, and, and it will immediately come on the television screen. And this is going to go all over the world. He said, what we want from you is content. We want video content because the pastor's wife had been listening to our radio show. She said to her husband, you got to get Wickwire on. You got to get Wickwire into this and get his messages on this technology. So he told the Jewish businessman, I met him, real nice guy, extremely wealthy, lives in Beverly Hills, 10 minutes from Rodeo Drive, been in this all of his life. And for him, it's pure business. But here's what's going to happen. Within three months or less, we're going to be available to the whole world. And they will market it. 
It will be a brand new, a brand new outreach, a brand new option on the internet. People will subscribe in North Korea, in Australia, in Israel, in Timbuktu. All over the world, you'll be scrolling down this program and say, well, I think I'll hear this guy named Jeff Wickwire, and it will come on. It will come on in communist countries. It will come on in Muslim countries. It will come on all over the world. And he said, all you got to do is get a $1,500 camera, high-def camera, and send us the content. And we're going to market you, put you on there, and put it all over the world. Free. Free. Now, you've got to understand, that means that at the click of a mouse, they'll be able to put our services on their television and watch in North Korea where they can't get the gospel, in Saudi Arabia where they can't get the gospel, in Africa, all over the world. We'll start getting letters from everywhere from people who are being saved and touched, delivered, ministered to from all over the world. He said, it won't cost you a thing. I just want your content. So we're getting a high-def camera. We're going to start filming these with the high-def camera. And within three months or less, God willing, and if the creek don't rise, we're going to be on, available to the whole world. And I always knew that we would go to the whole world. I just didn't know how. And it came through a Jewish businessman. And so I'm grabbing that baton. Are you grabbing it with me? And I can't wait for my first letter from North Korea or from Australia or Africa or Israel. We're watching you. Thanks for the message. Free. Church, we're in this together. I want to be an outreaching church. I want to see people get saved. Can we stand together? And you know, I shared this in the first service, and people walked up and already handed me $2,000 for cameras. I didn't even ask for it. I'm not asking for it now, unless God tells you to do it. I'm not asking for it. But that gets one right there. And we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Our musicians already said, uh, let's see, Mike Foster, that means I'm going to have to lose weight quick. Because cameras make you look a lot bigger, you know that. But how about that? Isn't that church? We're gonna we're gonna reach the world. We're gonna reach the whole world. And since we're gonna do it together, let's pray together, can we? Lord, thank you for the no and then the go and then the grow. We know we're going and we're growing. Now, Lord, we ask you. As a matter of fact, I want everyone in here today who can say, I'm grabbing that baton. I'm going to grab it with you, Pastor Jeff. I'm going to lock faith with yours. And together, we're going to reach the world. We're going to reach the unreached. We're going to reach the unreachable. We're going to reach the desperate. We're going to reach into Samaria where they're starving and dying. If you can say that, lift your hands and let's pray together. Say, Lord, I'm yours. Use me. Help us together.
to be a church that reaches the world, that carries that good news into the gates of Samaria where the dying will be fed. Here am I, Lord. Use me.